Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile's Sound Notes. Our chief marketing officer is here. Tim Zach, say hi to everybody. Hello. How's everyone? Not that they can talk back to me. <laughs> you should have waited for a response. So Tim doesn't usually do these podcasts, but we're going to talk about something that relates to uh, the conversation of, of transformation and change and also about um, Last Mile Media, which is, how do you describe Last Mile Media to people when they haven't heard of it before? Yeah, it's kind of cool to be on this side of the podcast because normally I'm on the, the side of, of publishing these things. But um, yeah, Last Mile Media, we can, we can talk about that for a minute. So, you know, one of the interesting things about Leading Agile is, you know, we as a company have had to build all kinds of capabilities to run our company. And one of those is the marketing capability. And, you know, people who are listening to this podcast are clearly connected with the content that we build. Um, but people who've been around a while, you know, see our content on YouTube and they see it on Facebook and they see it on Instagram and we're kind of everywhere, LinkedIn. Um, of course, this podcast is a big part of it. Um, and so, you know, we've built this system of generating content, thought leadership content um, internal to our company to, to solve our problem, um, which is, you know, get more leads. But more than that, it's um, to educate our market, right? Because we're looking for people who are trying to solve the problem in the way that we solve it. Um, who are aligned with with our approach. So we put our approach out there and those kinds of people like our content. And then if we can help some of them, you know, we have a conversation and, and hopefully we can help some of them. Um, but what Last Mile Media is, is it's our, it's us taking that capability that we've built to do content at scale and, uh, you know, allowing other people to buy that capability. So we're taking it public to the market. We've got a couple of customers right now, but we're kind of in the incubation phase. But the idea is that we'll do that same kind of thing, building content at scale for, uh, other people and uh, and apply it to a public marketing um, initiative kind of thing, like what we're doing for Leading Agile. But what I think we're going to center, you know, around today talking about is how do we maybe apply some of those principles into um, a change management or internal communication yeah. kind of strategy? Yeah, cool. Thank you. So when I started doing transformation, Tim, what would happen is I work for a company X and they get a contract and they'd say, all right, here's three people. They're going to spin up pilots. They're going to transform the company. We need some leader to do like a blast to the company, have a big all hands meeting to tell them we're all going to do agile. And that was it. And it was like the leader would say that and some people would ignore it. And some people would be like, oh, great. Things are going to change. And some people didn't know what they were talking about. And then people like me were trying to get a whole company to be something different than it knew how to be. Yeah. So one of the things that we talk about a lot is, you know, systems before, you know, practices and culture, right? We have to change the systems in the organization to create a world where people, um, you know, can do agile. And then we want to install some practices and then culture will follow. Well, one of the, it doesn't mean that culture is not important. And one of the things that can get in the way of the adoption of those practices and the bringing along of people is that, you know, what we're asking people to do in a transformation. And we're a lot of times in the scale of transformation that we do asking a lot of people to do is to work differently. So tomorrow, you know, and over the next several months, you're going to come to work and this job that you may have been doing for 10 years, 15 years in a certain way that you're probably good at, that you've had success in and you've gotten raises and promotions and all kinds of things in doing it the way that you've done it over that period of time is going to change. Um, and a change can be scary and there can be uncertainty and there can be doubt. You know, marketers like to call that FUD, 
right? It's like there's, and all that stuff gets in the way of people adopting practices and it causes sometimes people to do things to, you know, not because they're bad people, but because of the fear to sometimes even get in the way of some of these things that we want them to do because they don't understand. And so what we have to think about with that big kickoff or whatever, you know, not that that's a bad thing to do. That's, that's a cool way of like, of, of starting something, but that also all of that fear and uncertainty, sometimes lack of context, right? Cause they don't always know at their level, different levels in the organization. They might not have heard all the lead up to why we're doing this. They might not have internalized it, whatever um, that, you know, they, they maybe aren't going to hear it. And so what's important if we're going to be successful with this is that we have a system where we can continuously reinforce these messages so that we can help people come along um, so that we can help people to engage and be active participants and, and, and um, move the change forward Yeah. rather than at best being neutral or at worst kind of like working against it. And a lot of it is they, I would, I would imagine that they hear what they hear is not what was said or they hear it in a way that is not the way it was intended. I mean, in like the worst case examples I can remember, somebody who doesn't understand Agile in the first place had their people tell them that we had to do this. So they tell the company we have to do it without really understanding it. And then the people like in my position, I was working in a PMO. All I'm hearing is everything that I'm in control of is going away. My job is going away. And now you don't want me to plan anything. Like what the hell am I going to do all day? Yeah. So that's a big, that's a really good point because it's a big thing. The way that we go as human beings from data to information, the way that we turn some kind of thing we hear or see into the story that we understand is it bounces off of our experience and our emotions. And so if it's the first time I hear it and there's some, some fear or uncertainty, I'm likely going to hear it in a negative context, whether that's what was said. Um, I'm probably going to only latch on to the data that supports that story for now, right? So what we have to do is is use the opportunity to influence that person over a period of time. And then as that person tomorrow and the next day and the next month begins to understand better the context of what's going on, they'll start to allow other data into the picture and they'll start to be able to change that story in a more complete way. But what, what that means in reality is kind of to your point, we're going to kind of have to say the same thing over and over and over again, so that as we are able to get a little bit of traction, as other things happen in the organization, as there's more clarity around my new team, for example, or my new role or something like that, we mm-hmm. tell them again, the vision for the company, we tell them again, why we're doing this, and then they can latch onto a little bit of a different part. Okay. And so over time, they're able to actually hear what you, what you intended to say in the beginning, yeah. Um, but they weren't ready to hear it yet. We're going to drip it to them. You know, if we're doing this right, we're going to drip it to them in a way that that they'll get it. But it's got to be kind of like over time as their experience allows them to take in more information. Okay, so I, I want to add, I'm going to rephrase one thing to see if I have it right, and then I want to ask you a question about something internal at our company. Um, you couldn't possibly just open the fire hose and feed them everything they need to know at once. Their brain, I mean, there's just, it will be too overwhelming and most of the message would be lost. And that's why we need to repeat the message so that people, as they become ready to hear it, they get the different pieces of it they need to understand how to move forward, right? 
Yeah. Okay. What about, and maybe this is, maybe I should be saving this question for later, but I'm thinking about something in particular. So when, when new people join Leading Agile, part of what we have to do is teach them the way that Leading Agile works. And, and part of that with things like trust influence, that's messaging that we have to cycle over and over and over again so that it really clicks in because a lot of people, it doesn't take the first time. When you get somebody who hears the message and gets it, and then they hear the message again and again and again, does that have a negative effect? So it, it's kind of interesting because it's about, um, like it could, but if you think about, so I, I come from the advertising world, the, you know, the marketing space, and I think about things in the context of you know, ads and external marketing and, and driving customer behavior. Because uh, yeah. that's kind of my, my, my context. But if you think about customer behavior, one of the things, you know, it used to be when I was in college and, and I'm not that old, but that was a bunch of years ago um, that it was like the seven times rule. And so, you know, people had to hear or see, be exposed to a message seven times before they even really saw it. And that was like talking about ads and, you know, things like that. Sure. Now, you know, depending on who you talk to, it's something like 14 or 20 or something like that. But what's interesting is when you look at all those studies, people continue to get more brand affinity well beyond that. So it might take 14 or 20 for them to even kind of notice it yeah. or, to, or really comprehend it or be able to recall it. But even seeing it more than that creates more affinity. So I think okay. I think your point is is like it's it's interesting and it's valid in that we want to be a little bit careful not to just, you know, Irritate make people them. tired. Yeah. But I think the tolerance and the, the place of wearing things out is much greater than we realize. And, and why might that be? I think it's a few things. I think one, as the people who are doing the communication, and I'm guilty of this as a leader all the time, is I've been thinking about this and I've been whatever it is and I'm trying to get my yeah. team to do. I've been thinking about this for a while and really deeply. And like, I've, I've gone over it and over it and over it. So to me, it's been rattling around my brain a hundred times. Mm -hmm. And I forget that my team, this is the, maybe the first time I'm ever saying it, Yeah. but I, I'm saying it from a point of view of, oh, this is obvious to me now. Why isn't it obvious to you? Well, cause you haven't been batting it around yeah, in your brain for the last two weeks. The time with it. Yeah. What, what's interesting to me before we go down this path is there's a thing that you, you know, what you were saying a few minutes ago, I was trying to tie it back to something in real life. And we've been watching um, Killing Eve on Hulu. And that means that for one hour of Killing Eve, we're subjected to the same progressive commercials like over and I mean, 10, 15 times an episode. So like for the past two weeks, that's all I've seen is this one progressive ad over and over and over. And what I'm taking away from what you just said is that even when I get past the point of, you know, I could recite the commercial myself, it's embedded in there. And then when I need whatever kind of interest, I'm like, oh, we should just call progressive. <laughs> because yeah. Yeah, so it, subconsciously. it plants that thing that sticks even beyond like a surface irritation with having to watch the same commercial. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things going on with that too, right? It's like part of what's irritating about that is it's like literally the same commercial. Yeah. Part of what's irritating about it is it's all within the same episodes. It's too fast. Like you're not in a different place to hear it differently in 35 seconds. But it's not going to harm anything, right? Well, well, so it might. So like okay. in those cases, you're, it, the, the irritation isn't coming from being told the same thing over and over again. It's like the wrong context, right? So like you haven't, you don't need to hear it again in 15 seconds. 
um, at I least in the same way. Either. <laughs> your, your world hasn't changed. That, that's, that's yeah. the thing, right? Like your world hasn't changed. So if we bring this back to like bringing people across and leading them through some, some big change, like an org change or a transformation, yeah. what we want to do is we want to reinforce it, but we want to reinforce it across a timeline where someone's experience has changed. So for example, we have a big kickoff and people are like, oh, this agile thing. And all they hear is like, uh-oh, everything's changing. Change is scary. Like, uh-oh, all they heard in the whole meeting, they didn't even hear the vision. Right. All they heard was change, 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 change. Uh-oh, that's scary, right? But then maybe they start and we have like a, another meeting in a week or two, or maybe later, maybe in a couple of days, and they learn better their role definition. Okay. Well, now if we tell them about the vision again, they can go, oh, I see how I fit in a little bit more. Yeah. And then maybe later they start to hear about like a new team design. And then we tell them again and they're like, oh, now I can see a little more into that vision because I have a clearer understanding of the teams and my role. And I'm kind of comfortable with my role, even though there's some uncertainty about that. I'm kind of comfortable. I see how the teams are at least going to shape. Like this makes sense to me now, even if there's a little bit of of angst around a reorg or something like that. I can kind of see where it's going. Oh, cool. I can, I can see what this is adding up to again. So like as people's experience changes, they have the ability to hang some of the messaging we want them to hear off of those experiences and like, and and collect more of it. You said all that stuff the first day, but they didn't get past change, 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 change. That, That was where they stopped. Right. So what we want to do is we don't want to just tell them the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. We want to do it in a way that that one isn't exactly the same. Like if you literally, could you imagine doing this? Like having a town hall and then tomorrow having the same town hall. Dude, I teach the same CSM script? classes. I say the same thing over and over again for two days, hoping it'll stick. And it. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I literally have said this eight times. And they're like, really? I've not heard you. Like, but yeah, we wouldn't want to do, we wouldn't <laughs> want to like have everybody get back together, have the same town hall, read the same script, do the same funny joke that wasn't funny the last time. Right. So we wouldn't want to do it that way. But what we might want to do is extract out the message that we wanted to get across in that town hall. Yeah. Give it in the town hall. That's one thing. Extract out that message and then think about over the course of time, what other things we might have like an internal newsletter we send. We might be able to take even clips of the video from so the town hall and ways. push it out into Slack different or something. mediums and stuff like that. Yeah. And and when why, right? Because they, like I said, if, if all they heard was change, 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 and tuned out, even if they yeah. were listening, then tomorrow we can kind of tell them the thing we already told them, but maybe they're even even maybe just their emotions have changed. So that it was a quick reaction, they were amped up, change, change, change. Tomorrow they're like, you know what? This is actually probably okay. And now they can even hear it. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it's just an emotional state that changes. So part of that progressive irritation is like nothing's changed about your world in 15 seconds and they delivered it in the exact same way. So we want to give it to people over time as their experience changes, as they, as their emotions go up and down, different things happen. Um, Cause the other thing, you know, that I think just as human beings, and this is like probably one of the more human podcasts leading agile does, right? So we talk about systems, 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 but again, it's not because culture is not important. It's just like, it's just a, we don't directly go after it. Right. Yeah. But one of the things that um, we just have to think about as human beings is that you have to always factor in, in a group of a hundred people or 300 people or whatever, there's going to be some of those people that like something bad happened that day or their kid got a bad grade or got sent home from school or something and they're distracted and they just like literally didn't hear you. 
Yep. Because their brain was doing something else because we're human beings. Or they were when stuck it's a, on the last point that you said five minutes ago and they couldn't track anymore. Yeah. And you know, when when it's one-on-one and I see that, you know, somebody's body language changes, like, oh, what's going on? You know, I'm having a bad day. Okay, cool. Let's just not have this meeting today. Let's have it tomorrow. And I can do that when it's one-on-one. But in a big group, it's like, yeah, I mean, some of those people are going to be in a, in a reasonable place to hear at least whatever they're ready to hear. But some of those people's brains are just like totally somewhere else. And so yeah. you even totally missed them and you don't know who's who. So one thing that I think it's important to also note is that the person who's giving the presentation, because I mean, I know I'm guilty of this as well in the class sometimes, they, they're done. Like they prepared the whole thing. They've thought about it a lot. They broadcasted their message. Like I said it, I'm done. Like, why don't they hear it? Like you, you forget like all the things you just said. I think when you're the one delivering, you sometimes forget that maybe that person does have a sick kid and that person, you know, somebody, their spouse just got fired or whatever. And they, their brain's not in the right place to get what you're trying to share with them. Yeah. And so, so what do we do, right? We either, you know, blame the people and say, Hey, why aren't you paying attention? Or as leaders and people who are responsible for this stuff, we just accept that that's part of part of reality. Mm -hmm. And we build a system of getting this messaging out there that respects that, that respects that sometimes people have personal stuff going on and they're going to miss it. Sometimes people uh, hear something and they get afraid and then they just tune out. Sometimes people don't have a, a level of experience with the topic to even be able to really hear it. Anyway, I mean, think about anytime you learn something new, um, you know, I, and think about a skill, like if you play guitar or something like that, um, you know, I had an interesting experience. I, I learned, I was self-taught, learned to play guitar when I was a kid and kind of got to this point in college where like, I, I couldn't really, I wasn't like getting better. I could play more songs, but I would, but basically just applying the same set of skills, strumming the same chords in a slightly different rhythm to slightly different words kind of thing. But I wasn't able to like do different things on the guitar. And one of the things that I always wanted to be able to do was to start to play lead because mostly I just played like songs so I could sing next to them and whatever. And I always wanted to be able to learn to play lead and um, I needed an elective in college. And so I took a music theory class because I was kind of interested in it. And I thought for some reason, Actually, I didn't really know what the class was going to be other than it was a music theory class for non-music majors. And I was like, okay, that's me. And so I take the class and I'm in the class. And and very quickly, I start to realize this guy's going to teach us on piano. This is not all that interesting because <laughs> he's going to teach you on piano, piano and he's not going to teach you anything worth doing on the guitar. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, well, maybe. Right. But what was interesting was is so I start learning to play piano, which is not something I was interested in at the time. But what was fascinating was the the context of the piano and the context of learning something new started to connect dots in my guitar playing yeah that i had never connected because i didn't know why some of the things that i just knew muscle memory wise to do i didn't know why they worked and then once i figured out why they worked then it was like then things started to click together but it was an interesting combination of things because he was dumping things into my brain but i already had a set of things in my brain it could connect to so like, mm-hmm. had I not been playing guitar for six or eight years and been in that spot, I would have never connected those dots. Sure. If I would have tried to learn to play guitar through that class, I would have never been able to do it. Yeah. But because I had certain experiences up until that point, even though he didn't one time pick up a guitar in that class, I learned a lot about guitar playing 
via that class because I had something to hang oh, out. Good. Okay. So I don't know, like maybe it's like a little bit of a weird example, but but part of it is the the point I'm trying to drive home is that sometimes people don't hear things just because they don't have any relevant context or experience. And what happens when we go through a transformation is people people slowly collect those things. So maybe even we tell them what their new role is, but they don't really know what it is. But then they get into a team and even if they do it badly, because the team's learning how to do it all, but they, they run a sprint, they run like one sprint and everybody's at least playing the role and they see how it works. Well, now they have some, some relevant experience to start to hang things off of. Cause they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not the best product owner on earth. I've only done it one sprint, but I've, I've sat in the seat for a whole sprint. I've seen what conversations people have. I've seen what problems come up. I see the things that I, I I don't feel like I am doing well. I see how my old role now applies or the skills that I had in this, in, in my old role can bring over. I can see a gap in skills that I might need to go make. I can see how other people's skills are mapping into their new roles. Cool. I'm ready to hear something different because right? okay. I've had an experience with it. And the thing about those experiences, it happens over time. Yeah. Like there's no amount of telling someone that gives them an experience. So some of these, so some of what has to change is like has to change over time because until that person sits in that seat for one sprint and has, and, and it actually plays the role, yeah, they don't have that experience and there's no way to tell them, even if you tell them. You know? so, so I want to I want to add two things, two, two examples, and then try to climb back up a little bit. So there are things in Agile, um, specifically the thing about work and process, and the example of a highway. I probably had that explained to me fifty different times by fifty different people, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then um, in a class that I was taking, Tony Andy Maria explained it, and it was like, oh my god. Like <laughs> suddenly, like it was that person at that moment, like that voice at that moment in my life, I was able to get the thing that even though it had been messaged to me over and over and over again, it never really snuck through the defenses. And maybe that's kind of the same thing with, with, with you with the theory stuff. It's like, I don't know if you can always plan for that, but you have to have the messages available for people when they're ready to pick them up. Well, yeah, that and and I think that's the I don't know 100% where you were trying to transition to, but I think that's kind of the point, right? It's like we if it was like, you know, one-on-one in a conversation, you could probably test for where people are at. Yeah. But if we can't do that, and there's right. there is some marketing stuff you can do to test where people are at. But but if you can't really do that in a in a super accurate or scalable way, you know, in and really understand like where people are, um, then what do you have to do? You kind of just have to have it in their world in a kind of all the time. And right. then the other thing that is implied by what you said, right. Is, is it's not always, you might've given it to them in, in one media, like maybe you wrote it to them, but they needed to see a visual or maybe you showed them a visual and they needed to hear it or maybe, you know, different things like that. Maybe they needed somebody who was funny versus somebody who was like really straightforward. Like yeah. my wife always makes fun of me because the only books I read are like textbooks and the only books she reads are fiction. But a lot of times what happens is she learns through a story. Yeah. The same thing I learned by somebody just giving me a framework. Yeah. Okay. So like, which one's right? Is is the business book that gives me a framework right? Or is the allegory right. story that, you know, comes from C.S. Lewis right? And neither okay. one of them is right. But if I read C.S. Lewis, I don't get anything out of it. Okay. And if she reads my business book, she doesn't get anything out of it. So I'm glad they both exist. And I'm glad yeah. they're both in our world, right? Because we're trying to learn how to be good people. And we're trying to learn how to do a lot of the same things. 
but I just don't learn through fiction and stories and other people's experience. I learn through giving me frameworks and she learns through people's experiences and stories and things like that. It's totally cool. Okay. So where where I'm aiming at, where in a minute where I want to get to is talking about how when you're planning a transformation, that that this has to be an intentional part of the plan. But the, the thing that I wanted to mention first was that there's also a lot of people that no amount of like it's not going to be be until they actually see it work that it's going to click. Like they're going to have to go through those motions. You talked about them having context and then being ready for the message. I think there's other people that they'll do the job, but it's not until Agile starts delivering every two weeks can be like, oh, okay. Like they have to be holding it in their hands to actually understand some of the messaging. So it just, that stuff's got to be available all the time and you have to plan for it to be available all the time, not just to push like once a month or in a newsletter or whatever. Yeah. So, so what problems does that cause? Right. And, and why aren't, why aren't we just doing this? Why isn't everyone just doing this? And I think it's a couple of things. I think one is, um, it's that the oftentimes the people who are in charge of creating the message, the thought leaders, mm-hmm. the, the leadership, whatever, folks are busy, especially as we start to get into a change world and into a change mode. They're extra busy. And they have some time for this, but they don't have infinite time for this. And so they do things that they think are high leverage and they are high leverage things like a town hall. Why would you have a town hall meeting instead of having a meeting individually with every single person on your team? Right. It's really high leverage. But then they're I, done. They did I can talk hall. to 500 people. Yeah. So cool. So in the spirit of high leverage things, if you're in charge of the communications part of this stuff and it's your job to make sure that we're effectively um, evangelizing the change to the people who need to change, the things we have to think about are how do we still stay in that mode of really high leverage uh, use of thought leaders and leadership's time, but also create on the backside, the scale that we need to do some of these other things, like put it in, in quote unquote, in market, put it in, in the purview of the people who need to see it, um, you know, 14 times, right? So what does that mean? Sometimes that might mean taking the message out of that town hall, turning it into an internal blog post that you post up on your intranet. It might mean turning it into a set of things that go out over like the Slack channel about the transformation or into, into individual teams, Slack channels as they're, as they're part of the change or something like that. So it's going to be translated a little bit, but it's going to carry the same idea, right? Okay. It's going to, or set of ideas over time. And then you have the complication of what happens when like, you know, in three weeks you hire somebody and they weren't even in the company when the town hall happened. Mm-hmm. So how do you catch them up? Or we do things like, you know, in our model, we don't start everyone in the transformation on day one. We break off vertical slices and we start them, you know, each, we call those expeditions in case you're new to the, the podcast, right? We break them up into individual slices and then we start those uh, expeditions on, you know, incrementally over time. And so there, at any given town hall or something like that, there's a set of people who are deep in the journey. There's people who are, are fixing to start. Um, welcome to the South fixing to start. Uh, there's people who are fixing to start. <laughs> Your Matt could be fixing to start. <laughs> I love it. My parents are from New York, but I'm clearly from Georgia. Um, so there's people who are fixing to start and then there's, you know, people who haven't started yet. 
And so what we have to think about, and that's analogous to like the marketing automation that we use for customers as they enter into the funnel, you know, there's people at the top and there's people at the middle and there's people at the bottom all the time. And every day there's new people at the top and there's new people who've moved to the middle and there's new people who and, are, and even who are within, down the bottom. Like people that are ready to start that have started and people that are not ready to start that have started. Yeah. But what's really cool when you start to think about like this, the uniqueness of this internal audience is like how much we actually know about these people, at least about their journey, right? So we have it already tooled up, like who's a part of these expeditions and what expedition is fixing to start and which what base camp are they headed to and what outcomes are they working on and what are their assessments? And like, there's like so much data we have about these people that help to create context for where they might be. And could help us to develop campaigns and automation and things that are are most relevant to that that person who's in that seat and who's in that role and who's in this part of the journey. So I want to ask a question about this. You just sparked an idea for me. Does that mean that if I'm somebody who's involved with planning or, or orchestrating this transformation, that I might have different messaging for the PMPs and the PMO than I would be for the development team members or for people in marketing, because certain people are going to be more worried about different things than others. Yeah. You mean you very well might. Okay. Um, and it might not be everything's different for, but it might be, um, yeah. I mean, you, you very well might, okay. you know, and I think as I've worked with, you know, different people, um, you know, not that I want to draw too many stereotypes, but like, there's also like a lot of times different, even personality factors at play. Mm -hmm. And, and while you wouldn't want to stereotype, you know, developers are this way or whatever, what you might want to think about is over the course of time, even as you're hitting a developer, you might want to have some communication that's more emotionally driven. You might want to have some set of that communication. That's more maybe at the risk of, of a wrong connotation, more rationally driven. So thinking about, you know, my business books versus my wife's CS Lewis, right? We might both be developers, um, but over the course of time, like she might need to hear a story and I might need to hear a framework. And, and maybe we do that in the same email, but we just think yeah. about including a story and a framework so that okay. I get what I need and she gets what she needs. But also maybe by role, maybe by seniority, maybe by... Because the other thing that's interesting as we start to talk about, and this is a little bit of probably a rabbit hole, but you know, one of the things that we, we hear about in market a lot of times is that you know, the leadership isn't listening to us about agile. And it's often because we're not speaking in their language. So one of the things we have to be careful about too is like what are their concerns? So we've talked a lot about like, you know, leadership communicating down to teams and people who need to change. But yeah. what about kind of middle up too? Because a lot of times these transformations come from like sort of middle and, and they mush up and they push down yeah. kind yeah. of thing. And so if I'm in the middle and I have to to speak up right? There's also some, like a different frame I have to think about there. So I, I don't want to just take it in some ways, it's probably some of the same messaging, but I need to like frame it a little bit differently. The cadence is probably different things like that. And so there's a whole communication strategy that's built around who people are and what they need to know. Yeah. But I think the reason, and, and that's just basic good communication. I don't uh, think anybody who's in the communication space, I'm, I'm, you know, sending off any rockets for anybody, but what I think the, <laughs> What I think the 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 core problem is is that that's just like a lot of stuff we got to go build. Yeah. Well, I, so, I, I, I have a real life example of this of a problem that a client that I work with, the place I teach, been teaching there for years. 
Um, and I teach mostly people on teams up to like the beginning, you know, the mid-level, beginning and mid-level. And in every class, there's complaints that management doesn't get it. Management isn't doing anything. They just want us to change. They're not changing. And I know for a fact that the people in management are all going through training and transformation as well. But the message is not being delivered or not being received. Yeah. And, and sometimes too, like what if, so we get to the point in the transformation where like our business unit or group or, or our organization within the organization, whatever you call it, is getting some success. But now we start to need help or we need other people who we work with in other business units to kind of get on board with us too. And like, and, but we have the same problems, right? We're going to ask them to change and they're going to be resistant to it sometimes for different reasons and different things and all the things, right? And so what are we doing to market the results and the success and help them buy into the vision? You know, some of it is person to person. Some of it's influence work. Some of it is meetings in the boardroom and, and all of that's great in the channel for messaging. But what are the other things that we're doing to help to influence them and influence the cloud of people they trust and yeah. who will help ultimately make the decision, even if they're not in the boardroom or even if their name isn't on it, there's a cloud of people that everyone trusts who influences them the closest that they're going to ask questions to. They're going to, they're going to get gut checks from and say, what do you think about this? You think this is a good idea? Think this is a bad idea. Like, how are you feeling about it? And making sure that we reach all those people too. And so how are we mark, you know, quote unquote, marketing the results yeah. Um, which if, you know, in the wrong context might sound slimy, but really what it is, it's a tool of influence. Let's make sure people understand what we're really about, what we're really able to achieve so that they want to buy in and we're plowing that field early and we're making that fertile ground early so that when, when we do ask them to change, they kind of get it and like, all right, yeah, I, I, I kind of at least understand what's going on. And, but again, kind of like, what's the core challenge, right? I, I don't think, again, this is super revolutionary idea. I think people want to do this. But I think what it boils down to is not having a plan for how to turn, um, you know, the stuff that's hard to make, which is, you know, getting the thought leadership to spend time originating some kind of message, like doing the town hall or writing an email for us or sitting down with us and giving us information, whatever it is. How do we turn those into high leverage activities and make sure that like we're able to power those other things? And that's really what, you know, you kind of start off this podcast with like, what's last mile all about? And, and what we've had to do on the marketing side and what I think is interesting to apply to different problems is, you know, you look at a lot of our content and the bulk of leading Agile's content features Mike or Dennis or a principal consultant or, or somebody like that who has a day job, tons of responsibilities and not a lot of time to play. Yeah. Um, but what we have to do is we still have to be on Instagram all the time. We have to be on LinkedIn all the time. We have to be on YouTube all the time. Why? Because some people are on YouTube and they like to watch videos and some people are on Instagram and they like to see pictures of people's cats. Um, and, and I, and all of, all of those groups contain people who need transformation. And so I need to be there, but I can't ask one of our principal consultants to help me make seven Instagram posts and for YouTube videos and whatever. It's like, I got to figure out how to get them to do a few activities where they deposit into my system really smart things, points of view. That you can use multiple ways, yeah. And then, yeah, and then it's my team's job to figure out how to get those things out there into, into the various places and, you know, and be everywhere all the time. And a big part of that that 
you know, it's kind of obvious you take a video and you turn it in an Instagram post, but a big part of what we're always thinking about too, is like, then the next step is what can we put on the shelf into our nurture streams, into the things that are delivered in an automated way that then lasts forever. So that the, the work you do today, you know, I asked Melissa Oberg to give me a talk about metrics today and she does a really strong metrics talk today. Well, what about the person who just comes into our funnel three weeks from now? Yeah. Like, I don't want Melissa Oberg to redo that. I want to bring that right back up because that talk is still really smart and that person hasn't seen it. So what are we doing? And one of the things we're thinking about on the marketing side is what are we doing to put that stuff on the shelf? And then that gives that, that time Melissa spent with us that gives, you know, that so many more legs and so much more leverage because it works forever for us. And not everything does that, but there's a set of things and we're always hunting for what are those set of things that can work for us forever. And so I think about in this internal context, the same way, not everything that's said in a town hall is going to be something that's going to be relevant in three months, but there's going to be things that we're going to want to make sure new people or people who just started in the journey or whatever, um, you know, that they get. And so having the ability to translate the format of the media, automate things like, like approaching it from this sort of marketing stance, um, I think is just as important for like an internal uh, change kind of thing as it is for driving customers. Cause okay. at the end of the day, all we're trying to do with any of this is influence people. We're trying to help them understand something that they don't understand, right. help them to see a point of view that they don't see today. And then, you know, help to bring them along once they're, once they're educated and then get them to buy in once they're okay. educated. So let me, I have two, two questions about this. So I'm, I'm sort of assuming now that if I am somebody who's working on this in an organization, in the same way that if I had a new product, I'd want to find like early adopters and influencers and things like that. I would be looking for that within my organization to find people who can evangelize about the change, but people who have a high impact or have a lot of you know mindshare from people within the company that can help me spread the word. Um, and that's leading me to this question of, if I have a transformation office or something like that, do I need somebody in a role of being the, for lack of a better term, transformation marketing person? Or, yeah, so, or I mean, they would hire last while to do that, but I mean, does there need to be somebody whose job is specifically to think about that? Well, well, so it's interesting. So there's, there's levels built into, especially, you know, our customers, there's levels of, of this stuff kind of built in, and then there's gaps. Um, that we typically see. So, you know, part of the transformation office is definitely in like, at least the way we define it, it's definitely the communications part, the the okay. organizational change management, OCM communications stuff, 100% part of it. Um, we always make sure that that's a key capability that exists within an ATO that we establish. Um, and what we, but what we find is, is that a lot of times, um, you know, the, the group of people who are assigned to support that, that there's oftentimes like gaps in skills and sometimes a little bit of gaps in approach. Okay. Um, so like sometimes we find that there are gaps in skills around like different media types around like leveraging video and things like that, that have come that have been less a part of those kinds of communications in the past. But okay. as we've gone virtual in the last two years have become more a part and, and are very impactful but have also become more a part of the way you might execute things like this. Okay. There's also um, a little bit of a gap in skills around the way that um, we think about 
content. Like I think a lot of times and, you know, the marketing companies that we work like the marketing teams, internal marketing teams we work with, as well as internal folks, sometimes internal teams struggle in this, but the, uh, the thought, uh, dare I say mindset, maybe it's a system around, we make something and we're done with it. Yeah. Is, is the, is like the, the thing that makes it hard. Cause a big part of the way that we create scale is by not stopping at cool. We made something and we're done with it we make something and it had a use and we did that thing. And then we're just continually asking ourselves, what else, what other value can we extract from it? What can, what part of it can we put on the shelf? What part of it can we add to and re and use to reinforce later? <laughs> what part of it can we make into something totally new that, that has carries the message, but it's totally new media. Yeah. And it sounds like we're just recycling and recycling and recycling, but this whole conversation has kind of been about, you know, we're going to have to say it 14 times. So what I, what I need to do is I need to, I need to, as a, as an organization, as an internal team, whatever I need to, to say it 14 times, but what I'm not going to do is ask the thought leader to say it 14 times. You know, it's really funny. I'm listening to you talk about this and I'm thinking about um, my other podcasts that I do on my own. And for me, like, the, the interview and the editing, like by the time I post, like I'm done, like I've created a thing, I'm over it. I put a couple of tweets up, good. But I know that like, that is a massive weakness that I have. Like for me, it's the creation of the thing and, and I want to move on and create something else. But there is a need to like milk. I mean, if I could find a better way to milk that, I could get much more out of the stuff that I do. I think that, that maybe... Maybe there's other people out there that, that need help with that kind of stuff. They're not good at promoting it or moving beyond that town hall. Yeah. And so that's, to me, that's like, that's like really the gap, right? Like, like I said, I, I think that, you know, anybody who's building a transformation office and like I said, it's explicitly in our model, but I think people who are building a transformation office, they, they know that this communications idea has to be a part of it has to be. And then that's not the you know revolutionary part. I don't think I'm again shocking anybody by saying that. It has to be a part of it. And you know, like I said, our model even has an explicit point of view around like what kinds of things and connects it with the base camps. And there's like some things around it that are well established. Um but it has to be a part of it. Yeah. But I think where where we get tangled up sometimes is like the devil's in the details. And I think there's like a good, better, best thing going on here too. It's like, you know, it sounds like I'm like super negative on these town halls and things like that. Like not negative on it at all. I don't think to you're me, coming across as negative. I think you're just saying it's not enough. Yeah. Well, well to me, that's the good, right? Yeah. We said it. Cool. I'm glad we said it. And I'm glad we're having these regular cadences. You need the big grand gesture. Thought leadership in front of people and, and casting vision, you know, and connecting people up to the leadership's vision and the company's vision for where we're going with this stuff. And even sometimes the brass tacks of what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like all that stuff's really important. But then like better is is reinforcing that message over time with, with a bunch of communication. And then best is thinking about the, the actual media. And it's like, how can we do it with like really high impact stuff? Because we can also, you know, we've talked a lot about emotions in this um, and, and emotions play a big role. And it's like when things are exciting, when the videos are engaging, when it's maybe not always a talking head, but maybe it's animation or maybe it's, um, explainer videos, or maybe it's like other things that are just like high impact and like a little bit different and kind of hit different. Mm -hmm. Those things can be more effective sometimes because they're different and not just because they're more, but because they also hit differently 
to yeah. different people. And so even being able to, and I, and I think a lot of times um, internal teams just don't have the bandwidth to, to build these kinds of like high impact stuff all the yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, right? they so, don't, they're too busy either building the thing they're supposed to be building or trying to learn this new way of working. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so that's to me where, where we think about this good, better, best stuff. Um, you know, we got to do some of it. I think a lot of people are doing it good, but the question is like, what would we get? What would be the value of dropping into some of these better and best ways um, as far as, you know, accelerating adoption, um, decreasing noise sometimes, maybe accelerating the, the rate at which we move people through in this economy of, you know, uh, talent scarcity in a lot mm-hmm. of these roles and things like that. Like, what can we do to, to keep the talent that we have and not make them be afraid and just go like jump ship, but also attract the new talent we're going to need as we grow and as we have different roles and as things change. And so I think there's like a lot of value that can be driven, um, in, in the better and best lanes yeah. of, of really thinking about this stuff and doing it in a really like high impact, um, media way so that, you know, like I said, it comes across as exciting and it comes across as engaging. And it's like something that I want to be a part of yeah. over something that like, I'm, I'm not sure about. Well, also, I think I always feel like there's a, a larger mission too. They're one of the clients I work with them spend a lot of time explaining people like the change that you need might not happen until your kids work here. Like it's a big old timey bank. And this is a lot that's being asked of the organization to change its systems and it's everything about it. And that's a more noble mission. You're building a future for yeah. the next group of people. And that, that could be a thing that would help unite people and also carry them through the darker times when it's, when it is hard. Yeah, cool. So what I think is interesting, you know, what I think would be interesting um, and, you know, I'd love emails or, or whatever, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear some, you know, if, if the audience out there who's listening to this podcast has any thoughts about kind of this angle, you know, it's not something that we talk about a ton explicitly. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's the, the stubs and parts of it are, are explicitly a part of our model, you know, and, and like I said, I think the OCM stuff is like a big part of, of just change in general and certainly a part of, of every transformation. I can't imagine a transformation not having paid attention to it. But the ideas around, you know, doing some of this stuff at scale, figuring out how to meet people where they are on their timeline, not just on our timeline. Right. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear people's thoughts about, hey, I mean, if they're having any success, it'd be cool to, to learn about yeah, what they're what doing. They did, yeah. Um, but also maybe some of the challenges around it that we hadn't thought about, um, you know, be even cool to do another podcast. If we get some, some I think it would be great to do a like bunch that. of like a sort of a, you know, step-by-step kind of walk through, um, different things that people could work on to put this together, or at least give them an idea of the shape of it. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of it. things we've learned, you know, we've, we built a model and, and, you know, we kind of call it like originate, amplify and optimize is like our model for, for scaling content. We could explore that and, you know, kind of walk people through step-by-step in a, in a future podcast, how to, um, how to think about it and how to organize their system around being able to do some of that stuff. That'd be cool. Cool. All right. Well, what if people want to get in touch with you, Tim, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, emails easy. So tim.zach, it's Z-A-C-K. If you put an H on there, I won't get it. Um, at leadingagile.com. So, um, feel free to email me, you know, I've got some passion around this obviously. And so happy to talk to folks, um, you know, email with questions or whatever. Um, it would, would love to explore what people are working on. Um, and like I said, especially if anybody's got any 
success stories or anything like that. would love to learn from, from other folks too. So, cool. um, but yeah, email's great. And, um, you know, it'll be on the page on our website and you can look me up on the website. Um, if you can't find my email, so all right, those work. Thanks, man. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.